Man, I love a crossover. Not a sport utility vehicle, but like Spider-Man and the X-Men or Brooklyn Nine-Nine and New Girl. I love this kind of thing. And so if you're a regular listener to Heard Thundering, you know I'm Brett Dawson. And this is usually when I talk to you and monologue a little about what we're going to do. But today I just want to jump in because we've got a crossover episode. We're going to have John Hamm, my sellout crowd colleague, and we're going to talk about some Thunder rotation stuff, some trade deadline stuff. I'll probably make John talk about... I don't know, something with salary caps and, and collective bargaining agreements, because it's what he does. We're going to jump right in. But first, I want to thank the sponsors who make the show possible. MidFirst Bank, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and your Oklahoma Ford dealers. Driving your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. And John Hamm is the best to talk about trades and trade machines and salary whatevers. Uh, ramifications, simplifications. We're going to talk about some of those things in just a few minutes. But John, thanks for being here, first of all. Yeah, good to see you, Brett. It's been a minute. Uh, if you are just popping over from the big friendly sports podcast, this background is going to look very familiar on both sides. On both sides. Mine looks very familiar to anyone who has ever seen a blank wall. So, you know, people <laughs> are very, very comfortable with that idea. Uh, Ham, I want to, first of all, full disclosure for the people. We're recording this on a Friday. I don't know exactly what day it's going to run, but the Thunder will have played one and maybe two games by the time you hear this. So if somebody got hurt, if something changed, just know that we aren't ignoring the fact that, you know, like, um, I don't know, there was a confetti explosion on Sunday against the uh, Toronto Raptors. Some weird <laughs> thing might have happened. Who knows what could have yeah. happened uh, at Paycom Center? Nothing terrible. Uh, but but just uh, just know that there might be some changes. For example, the Thunder with a couple of injured guys right now. We don't know what their status will be by the time you hear this. And that's why we're not talking about those things. Uh, and we'll leave that in the past. But I want to talk, Ham, the, the trade deadline is coming up. And I feel like we could spend a little time on Dorian Finney-Smith or, you know, whatever your, your Thunder uh, candidate of choice is. Can they bring back Mike Mascala? What are the odds of Cam Johnson? Are there guys who don't play for the Nets who might be interesting? Um, we could do some of that stuff. But what I kind of want to talk about is the Thunder just came off a, a really challenging month. Um, the hardest month they'll play. I mean, barring the playoffs, but the hardest regular season month they'll play. Um, we came out with a little more knowledge of them. I wrote about this um, this week about kind of where they stand coming out of that month, where Shea is in the MVP race, where Chet Holmgren is uh, in the rookie of the year race, the emergence of Jalen Williams, the injury luck that really kind of reversed a little bit this past uh, couple of days, but has really been on their side in this, this uh, whole season and particularly in that crazy month. And so I want to talk a little bit about the state of the Thunder vis-a-vis -vis kind of the roster and what we think it's going to look like for the playoffs with just the guys they have right now. So first of all, Ham, anything from January that really jumped out at you? Anything that you thought, you know, hey, going into this month, it was so, so foreboding, so daunting. Uh, any, any takeaway from what actually happened? You know, I think the, the big thing for me was you talked about Shea and Jalen Williams, how these guys seem to thrive throughout that month. Um, now, granted, I mean, Shea, this is not his first NBA season. I think that's sort of a stamina and a tolerance that a lot of guys can build up. Uh, but the fact that J-Dub sort of met him production-wise, I thought was really impressive. Uh, you know, Chet Holmgren, yeah, we've talked a lot about, especially towards the end of the month, uh, he was dragging. And, you know, it's understandable uh, being his first full NBA season. But, um, you know, Mark Dagnall dug into the bench. Uh, we got Vasily Micic is is really getting some run right now, and and he's looked really steady when he's out there. And you know, 
it, cracking the playoff rotation, which I know we're going to talk about here in a little bit, it's going to be tough because there's a lot of candidates. Um, but if the Thunder need to, you know, steady the half court offense for a while, uh, or bring in someone to maybe bust a zone, for example, you know, it may turn out to be that they found something in Mitzic that they can lean into a little bit more. Yeah, hundred percent. I thought he was a real revelation of the month and he was, it's not like his numbers were off the charts, but I just think, you know, I talked to him at one point in January and wrote a story about him. And one of the things he said when we were talking was he felt like he had earned some trust from Mark Dagnall and from his teammates. And he was hoping that he'd get even more as he went through. And that wasn't him campaigning for more minutes. He talked pretty eloquently, especially for a guy's not speaking in his native language about his comfort with the role. But also just this idea that he can give them a little bit more if he gets the opportunity to do it. I, it didn't read as campaigning. It read as, I want to impress upon these guys that I'm a trustworthy player. Um, and I do think he's done some of that. And honestly, you know, there's a lot of guys you could say this about, but they don't beat Denver in the last game of that brutal January without him. With, with J-Dub not playing, the stuff he gave them in that second unit was so, so important. It really was. And, you know, when he makes a point in the postgame interview that he's been playing professional basketball for 14 years, you know, <laughs> yes, since the age of 16, this guy has been a professional basketball player, granted in other leagues. And there's been an adjustment to the NBA. Um, I think that's not a surprise within Thunder headquarters uh, and within the Thunder you know, coaching staff. And, you know, they found him some spot times here and there earlier in the season. And he even made a comment at one point about, you know, playing back to backs and sort of the challenge of that, even if he was playing in limited minutes. So, you know, this has been, I think, fairly good exposure therapy for him. And also the way that he phrases it as like, I, I want to show, I want to prove what I can do. It's almost like you're applying for more minutes, right? Here's here's my resume. Here's what I think I'm capable of. And not coming in with, here are my accolades. I deserve blank. Um, that, to me, kind of stood out as well as he talked about that. Yeah, he's really earned it. And, and uh, you know, he's continuing to earn it. And all these guys kind of have to continue to do that as you go through. That's the nature of he's not a young player, but they are a young team. They're still kind of finding out who they are. Um, a couple more January things I want to hit on before we move on. And we'll get back to Mitzich actually here in a minute because I do think he's one of the more interesting guys in terms of a will he or won't he kind of playoff guy. Um, but a couple of things in January. You mentioned Shea. I think the the longevity, the durability for Shea in January, uh, meaningful in the sense that the Thunder played more games than any of the other MVP candidates. When I say candidates, that's the top five guys by odds. Um, mm -hmm. they played more games and he played in every game and was the only one of those guys who played in every game. Um, that's not like a thing where, Oh, uh, when you're, you know, you're filling out your ballot at the end of the year, you're going to say, Oh, Shea Gildas Alexander played every game in January, uh, point Shea. But like, I think the idea that he did continue to play. So he's building a resume that includes a ton of games played. Uh, and the fact that they went 11 and six in that month, that was so brutal. Uh, they had some bad losses. There's no question they had a couple of bad losses in that month. But the month bolsters his resume, not from a standpoint, again, that people are going to say they went 11 and 6 against a really hard schedule, but they stayed well above water. And his record, the Thunder's record, is going to matter a whole lot when it comes to time to cast MVP votes. It, it would have been understandable if his stats declined. And, when, and for him, a decline is what, like 27 points a game, 27 and a half. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, you know, he shoots 47% from the field for the month. Um, but instead, he shoots 54% from the field in the month. He shoots 40% from three, 85%, almost 86 from the free throw line. Uh, also, That's chipping in. That, 
that's where he fell off the free throw line. He dropped down <laughs> under 90. Yeah. Trash. Yeah. Um, he, uh, you know, chipped in with the rebounds, the assists. There's plenty of footage of him, you know, being a pest and a hound defensively. And, you know, if that again, that that could have been uh, a month where he dipped back a little bit and maybe he would have to kind of regain that steam over the next couple of months. Um, you know, but instead he just plowed right through it. And, you know, uh, I, I don't get too worked up about like player of the week or player of the month awards or what have you. Knowing what we know about the Thunder schedule, I, I think Shea had an even bigger case. And again, I'm not going to go on some social media rampage about this, but you know, when you look at those stats and you identify the the difficulty of their schedule for the month, uh, maybe they should have looked at that a little bit harder. And, and and I think he had a great case for winning the award in January. He had one bad game in January, really. I mean, like he had a couple of games that weren't to his standard. Where, you know, I think maybe he forced some stuff and there were some not great shots, but like he did not have a great game against the Clippers. He had 19 points and just wasn't super effective. And the, the, the 86 long defenders that the Clippers can throw at you, um, you know, had an impact. But other than that, I mean, like there were a couple, there were some nights where I thought, oh, Shea's kind of forcing it a little. Maybe the other guys don't have it and he feels like he's got to take a little on himself. But essentially, he had one pretty bad game. Uh, against that kind of schedule is pretty remarkable. He got 30 points all but three games, I think, in the month of January, which is the other thing that's really amazing about him. You know, he's not had a 70-point game. He told us it's coming, I guess. <laughs> One of those big games is coming, hopefully sooner rather than later, he said. Um, but he just gets 30 all the time, just kind of what he does, and doing it uh, in that month against that sort of gauntlet that they played. Now, they didn't play the best schedule in January. They've played some tougher teams some other months. But it wasn't easy. You know, they had a, 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 a pretty good number of good opponents uh, and just a brutal, you know, the, the time off thing was the big thing. The thing to me, the Thunder cited this number, so I didn't go look it up. But the five days in Oklahoma City without a game to play, that's a 31-day month. That's an insane number. It really is. And also in the month, you know, Portland played 17 games, as did Minnesota, Indiana, Houston. I haven't spent like a lot of times sort of going down through their schedule. Uh, maybe those were a little bit more home friendly for, for those teams or, you know, in, in the case of like Portland, maybe they're traveling to California or, or something that's a relatively short jaunt. But, you know, for OKC, there was a lot of time in the air spent last month. And, yeah. um, you know, we know of at least one instance where there was a travel delay with him getting into Atlanta. Um, and then there was a bit of a, a hangover, you know, going into Brooklyn uh, from that as well. And, you know, again, we, we saw players chasing to be superhuman throughout all this because we could identify other guys that like, whoo, they're a little winded, you know, especially the guys that play heavy minutes, especially young guys um, that couldn't bring it consistently. Chet had an excellent game against New Orleans and then fell flat for a couple of games and then bounced back with a really good game against Denver. Um, so while there's some of that wavering consistency, Shea was just automatic practically except for those three games that you mentioned and okay <laughs> you know, you're you're yeah, okay to have right. those occasionally yeah uh last thing on january before we move into some some uh, roster talk uh and that is about chet i think it's very easy right now to go ahead and write off the rookie of the year race which is pretty funny because it was also easy at the end of december to write off the rookie of the year race the other way in december it looked like it was chet's he was going to win it 
Uh, Victor Wembanyama's numbers have been crazy since then. He's been great. He was rookie of the month in January. He 100% deserved it. He's on a better run right now than Chet. What we should point out is that, again, things can change a lot in a month in the NBA. We should point out that, Ch- that Chet had some of his best games in January. I mean, he had a 31-point game at Washington. Two of the last four games in January, he was awesome. They were two of the best games he's played all year. And his team has continued to win, and he has not missed a game. Victor Wimanyama has missed six. Uh, and not just because of grueling injuries or anything like that. They rest him on occasion. And so I do think you know, the NBA will focus more on winning down the stretch. And so just keep in mind that if Chet has a really good February and a really good March, and so does Victor Wimbanyama, that tiebreaker that I think in December was very much in Chet's favor swings back his way. So I, I would say we're in for a battle on that thing. Absolutely. And you know, just sort of, you know, my thought at the beginning about Shea was, you know, he could have he could have dipped understandably statistically that month and then had to make that up. Maybe Chet has to make it up a little bit because his I mean, his January was not poor. Um, there were a few games that, like we mentioned, just, you know, he was gassed or didn't play well. There was others where he was he was playing really well. But I mean, his numbers for the month were 14 and a half or I'm sorry, 15 points a game, basically 50 percent shooting, 51 percent. That's still good. The three point shot. That's the thing that was really getting people excited about his overall game early. You know, it was under 35 percent on four attempts per game during that stretch. But, you know, the defense has sustained uh, two and a half blocks a game over that stretch. So uh, but, you know, those counting stats help a lot when people sit down to vote. And um, it could very well be that maybe he lost a little bit of ground from the grind of January. But, you know, like you say, there's there's a chance where he could just bounce back up to a certain level and, and sort of, you know, uh, sort of regain or, or, or build the lead a little bit against Wimbanyana in this race. Yeah, and there's going to be some some you know he's going to get a lot of rest. The Thunder get a this feels wild now. They get three days in between games uh, coming up, <laughs> and then the All Star break on top of that. So this is going to feel like the off season to them by comparison yeah. to what they've just been through. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think the one other thing with Chet, um, even when he's been bad offensively, and that's happened sometimes during January, his defense is there's always a floor to it. He has occasionally a game where he hits that floor, like. He was not a good defensive player against Detroit. He did not play a good defensive game. Minnesota, he wasn't very good, but still disruptive around the rim, you know, like still was doing the things he does. Whether his shot block numbers are high, he's really an impactful player. And he's like that 95% of the games, like whether or not the shot is falling. I think that's really to his credit that the defense has not just fallen off in those nights when he's not making shots. And I think he is still on the scouting report says, keep an eye on this guy behind the three point line, even if, yeah. you know, the the percentages are not quite there for the past month. Um, yeah, I think he still has the respect. And if nothing else, if he is drawing a defender out of the lane and making it a little bit easier for Shea and J-Dub and Giddy to do their typical work, um, you know, he still presents that. Yep. A hundred percent. So here's, we've talked about Shea and we've talked about Chet and whatever happens, Uh, As long as those guys are healthy, we know those guys are core playoff rotation guys. Those guys will be, Shea will lead the team in minutes in the playoffs if everybody's healthy. Chet will be right there. Um, Jalen Williams is next in line, and that guy has had a great year and had a great January, and he's there. And Lou Dort is there, and there's no question about, you know, Lou Dort has been a playoff player. Uh, We know what he brings to the court defensively. And so we're really going to kind of leave those four guys behind. 
um, as we move into this next phase. And what I want to talk about, Ham, is, is the trade deadline is coming up. It's this week. It's Thursday. And we know that the Thunder is going to be a team that's talked about a lot. We don't know if it's going to be a team that makes a move. Might happen before this podcast comes out. And we'll all feel real stupid, and you'll never hear this. Um, <laughs> but we, I think we can talk about we, – we've talked so much about players and possible players. But I want to kind of talk about where we are right now with this group, what we think they look like as a playoff team, and then just kind of say, are there some things you'd like to add to that mix just based on how we think those guys might look in the playoffs? And notably, John, I just named four guys. And yeah. I don't know how much you know about the rules of basketball, but five guys start in a game. Uh, <laughs> and so let's open this with a little bit of talk about Josh Giddy and yeah. how he's playing and thinking about that from a playoff perspective. And what I mean from a playoff perspective is let's think about Minnesota last week. Let's think about just a game where we don't see this all the time, but we see this really blatant defensive strategy of Rudy Gobert is our best defender at center. And by the way, they don't, it's not always great defenders that do this, but Rudy Gobert is our best defender. We're going to put him on Josh Giddy ostensibly. If we had to write up the assignment on the dry erase board, that's the assignment, but he's not really guarding him. He's able to freelance. He's able to float. And basically what the, what the jazz are saying. And what I think John, many playoff teams are going to say is we got to deal with a lot of stuff with this team. His shooting is just not a thing we're going to concern ourselves with. Yeah, that's kind of the reality of it. And, you know, throughout the season, even, you know, it was earlier, earlier in the season where like Dallas and Houston sort of pioneered this type of defense. We're going to put our big man on Josh Giddy. And initially, I mean, there was a lot of indecision, um, you know, and, and he was taking, you know, just taking the shots eventually and wasn't having a lot of great success. And it was a big talking point. And, you know, some adjustments were made. He was he was more decisive. He was getting the ball and driving and, you know, trying to close that space a little bit. Um, and it just sort of feels like the teams are kind of going back the other way. Like, uh, no, after further analysis, we're still OK with you taking that shot. Um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that gets handled. Um, you know, Thunder fans can think back to the 2016 playoff run. Ennis Cantor was instrumental. He was he was good against the Mavericks in round one. He was instrumental against the Spurs in round two. He became unplayable during round three of that series. And there could be a little bit of that with Josh Giddy. I have no doubt that there could be some matchups where, you know, he's still valuable, even if it is for 24 minutes or less per game. Uh, there may be other matchups like Minnesota where maybe Mark Dagnall has to have a quicker hook, uh, has to, you know, he's playing chess in real time against, you know, someone like Chris Finch. And uh, yeah, and, and there's going to be like no minutes guaranteed. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see what those adjustments look like. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating. They, they are a different looking team when he's not out there. And sometimes they look a lot better. It's, I mean, the, the fact yeah. of the matter is that Isaiah Joe opens up some things that he doesn't open up. Um, but the flip side of that is true too. Uh, you know, Joe is not a guy who's quite the creator, certainly not the passer that Giddy is. He's not the rebounder that Giddy is. And I don't know if you've heard, but this team doesn't rebound particularly well. And so having a six, eight guard who is an effective rebounder does have its value. I mean, he has some value. He's not a high level defender. I think almost all the wing options that they have are better defensive players, even if they're considerably smaller. I mean, that's why you see in, in real important minutes, sometimes Case and Wallace is on the floor and sometimes Isaiah Joe is on the floor. And sometimes even Aaron Wiggins is on the floor instead of Giddy with those other guys. 
Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see. The thing that's curious to me, you mentioned the the Ennis Canner thing. And, the, you know, the, the I think another thing people will remember is Carmelo Anthony, who really, after the first game in a Jazz series, got picked on quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Billy Donovan opted not to really go away from it. Jeremy Grant was on the roster, and he didn't dramatically change those rotations. It's a thing I know to this day. It's still a thing a lot of people are critical of about Billy Donovan and that, that series in particular. I think the one thing we can say about Mark Dagnall is I don't think he'll be afraid to make a dramatic change if that's what he needs to do to win a playoff series. You know, and two, you talk about, you know, Carmelo was a tricky situation because you're talking about, you know, a basketball legend. And yes. there is some, you know, uh, delicate handling of the ego there that is not going to be required for many players on this team. And and by the way, I'm not saying that Mark Dagnall even does that today. I think he's, um, you know, he's he's not afraid to play Josh Giddy you know, 18 minutes on a night where he just doesn't have it, right? He feels no pressure on, well, I've got to let him play through it because of whatever reason. Um, And so we've seen this, because we've seen this so far in the regular season, I think that should give people, you know, some optimism there um, that they are going to go, you know, get, get creative when they need to. But also, Brett, you know, I've talked about this a lot. It wasn't that long ago when it was, well, we have to play Ray Felton. We have to play Derek Fisher. We have to play Randy Foy. Like we don't have better options. And when we talk about a playoff rotation, you know, I I can come up with 11 guys that I can start to make a, you know, strong case for getting minutes depending on the situation. And that hasn't always been the case in the Thunderpass. Yeah. So we're going to do that right now because we're going to talk about some of these bench guys. Um, And I think there's five, right? There's five guys who are in this discussion um, there's, there's, there might be moments here and there where one of those other guys has some value and we don't know who all will be on the roster, uh, at playoff time. Cause there's a chance they make a trade. And certainly like, you know, if they make a trade, I think there's a pretty good chance that Davis Bertans is part of that trade. And so he's not one of those X factor guys that you might throw in for five minutes of a playoff series to get a boost, but maybe Usman Jing is a guy who you would throw in for five minutes here or there when things aren't going your way and you want to get a little bit of a change. But we're not going to spend a lot of time on any of those guys. There's five guys, I think, who we can relatively confidently say are going to play. And so what I want to do, John, is just rank those guys one to five for each of us. So I'll okay. take my number one. You tell me who you, your number one is. Um, and I'm going to say with 100% confidence, my number one guy, and this might be, this is an upset, I think. I don't think this maybe should be the number one guy, but my number one guy is Casey Wallace. He's going to play in the playoffs. He's going to be a key player. If somebody can't play in a playoff game, he's probably going to start, although the Kenrich Williams thing has thrown a, a wrench into that engine uh, where he was the automatic starter. But I am he's the guy I'm most confident, and there are several guys I'm confident will play, but I'm most confident Casey Wallace is going to be part of this playoff rotation. That's really interesting. Um, believe me, my confidence level is very high there. That, would, that wouldn't have been my number one choice, which is why you went ahead and labeled it an upset. Um, Kaysen is a guy that I, I think if there's, if there's a level of concern, it is, is there a rookie wall? And sometimes yeah. there isn't. Like J-Dub last season, uh, if there was a wall, he ran right through it. Some guys aren't affected by this at all. Um, but is Kaysen a guy that as we get throughout the season that, you know, his, his effectiveness wanes and, and they feel like they need to go in a little bit of a different direction um, in terms of what he brings. I mean, it's everything Mark Dagnall wants. So um, I, I definitely have faith in him, but yeah, my number one was Isaiah Joe. I, I just feel like 
too. Not only because he can open up the floor, but because the dude just plays so hard. Um, you know, he he doesn't hurt defensively at all. He's a pest on that end. Um, and I I, I think he's going to be pretty valuable, especially when they need to open up the floor. Yep. So Isaiah Joe is my number two. I want to make one quick point on Casey Wallace before we shift over to Isaiah Joe. Yeah. Um, where would you have had Casey first of all? Probably three, and and we'll we'll get yeah. into that. And, and I'm I'm not yeah. like you know I'm mildly shocked that he's number one, but I'm not like uh you know getting ready to to roast you on Twitter about it. Right. So here's here's my my case for Casey Wallace. My Casey for Wallace at number one for me. <laughs> One is the starting thing, the fact that he's just started him. Dagnalt has started him in so many different situations. True. Two is just that the perimeter defense has been dependable. There are a couple mm-hmm. of matchups where it doesn't work out as well. Three is that, you know, he, he's, we know that he shot like a superhuman person for the first month of the season and then he fell off, but he actually rebounded in January. His shooting splits were way up in January. He was over 40% from three for the month. That's pretty telling for that kind of month for a rookie who was going into it on a slump. Uh, He really rebounded well. I think that speaks highly of where he's going to be. And then I just think at the end of the day, this dude is a basketball player. I I talked to, you know, I I know somebody who says like, I have some concerns about him in their offense because the cutting isn't as valuable for a guy 6'3", who's not going to finish as well at the rim. But then you watch him, you know, cut and fan the pass out to the to the the baseline. Uh, you watch him take a pass as he cuts and turn and flip it out to the wing for three pointer. The guy just knows how to play. He guards, and there's really no wane in his effort. If the effort is the same every night, and so to me, um, I have Isaiah Joe as a confident number two for me. Um, but I, I like I like both of those guys. They, they are tier one to me in terms yeah. of like the guys I really know are going to play. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. With that said, my number three, and this is a close call, actually. I, I think you've got a guy at number two who I didn't. So I'm going to go ahead and say who I, my number three is I, who I assume your number two is. But there is a guy who can throw this a little out of whack, so I'm not sure. But I'm going to think that Aaron Wiggins is your number two. He is my number three. He is your number three. No, my number two is actually Kenrich Williams. Okay, that was the other guy. I mean, there were two ways you could go there, and, and Kenrich is the other guy. Uh, but I know you're a Wiggins guy, so. I am. Yeah. And I, this is an upset, right. For me to put him below number one, uh, in a list like this, but, um, you know, Kenrich is playing 15 minutes per game on the season. Um, but yeah. you know, he's shooting fairly reliably and we know that he is going to be the de facto big man, uh, barring something that is done at the trade deadline. That's a little qualifier there, but, um, you know, uh, I, I just think, especially come playoff time, when everything ratchets up a few notches and, and things get a little more tough and physical, um, I, I think that's the guy that, you know, right up there with Wallace and Joe that, uh, that Mark Dagnall is going to be leaning on an awful lot. Yep. He's my easy, he was my number four and it's not an easy call. The Aaron Wiggins thing, I will 100% admit to you is recency bias. Oh, uh, sure. He's playing great. He's looked better and better and better. I don't think his role will dramatically increase in the playoffs. I don't think his minutes will dramatically increase because starters minutes go up in the playoffs. And so I suspect that everybody's minutes will go down a little bit. And I I do think there'll still be games he doesn't play. And maybe Kenrich will play every game in the playoffs. Although I also doubt that because one of the guys in my, my third tier is obviously a guy who could take some minutes away if there's not a trade. Um, But I, I, I think you're not wrong about Kenrich in terms of like, he also, he has a Case and Wallace quality in terms of just the, the Dagnalt trust level. Um, 
And we were talking to him, funny enough, we were talking to him this week about, uh, you know, he got asked a series of questions, uh, you know, Nick Gallo about like, sometimes you're a big and sometimes you're a guard. And so I just sort of wild thing as I was thinking through those questions and answers, I asked Kendrick, if you meet somebody who doesn't know a ton about basketball, but knows the basics, let's say it's a kid, you know, who's mm-hmm. learning basketball and they say, what position do you play? How do you answer that question? And Kendrick said, I just say I'm positionless. And he said that he actually uses it as a teaching point to little kids who want to play professional basketball. Uh, when he talks to them or there's a camp or whatever, he says, you know, like in this day and age, unless you're one of the best, best players, you just have to be able to do everything. And he really can do everything. This is kind of making me want to change my answer and put Kendrick number three. It makes me kind of want to put him at number two. Yeah. It kind of makes me want to put him at number one. Yeah, pr- probably not number one, but uh, but no, that's those are the qualities that he brings. And look, uh, Aaron Wiggins, I for a guy shooting 60% from the field so far this season, 55 from three. Um, and by the way, we're over halfway through the season, so I'm that's going to regress, question mark? Yeah, um, probably. But yeah, you know, whenever Wiggins is out there, um, you know, we know that, you know, how he holds up well defensively guarding opposing players. He can get switched onto bigger guys and more than hold his own. And offensively, he just sort of like teleports to wherever the open space is. And they find him and he's able to get buckets that way. But he also, you know, slides along the three-point line and 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 the defenses will kind of lose him and he makes them pay for that consistently. So um it's hard to see it's hard to see him getting even like 13 and a half minutes a game in the playoffs, as you mentioned. Um, but I feel like he's gonna be very strategic for Mark. Mark is gonna know like we need, you know, I, I've I've been watching the game, I've found some gaps in the defense. I'm gonna put him in now to try to expose those um and and he's going to be i think again just just a very very specialized tool on the bench for him he just feels like a guy who's going to have 16 points in a playoff game that they win and the other team says we got beat because of aaron wiggins yeah but i i I do think he's built for playoff defenses that that really try to take away option one and option two because of the cutting i just think like Mm -hmm. that is such a valuable skill. Now, I do think Kenrich means more to them defensively and come playoff time, that probably matters. And so you might be right to have them there, but I would tell you that they are, they're neck and neck for me in the same way that my one and two are. I just think that those four guys, and it's weird because I do have Wiggins kind of high and there's a chance that one of these lower guys could actually play more than him because the playoffs can change so much and you don't know what's going to happen. So I think there's really two more guys who have a chance to play. I'll let you go next and tell me Who's next in your pecking order in terms of playoff rotation? This is where it starts to get a little situational for me. Um, I know this is why it's fun to let you go first. I know. <laughs> so, um, you know, depending on who they meet in round one, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think who the matchup could be. Like, if they go up against, like, a Phoenix, they may not need Jalen Williams as much right. in that series. Um but obviously, if they're fortunate enough to play a Denver or a Minnesota, you know, getting some key minutes from him in those series, maybe that's going to be my answer. Because if OKC has to advance through those teams in the Western Conference, I think they're more likely to need some key minutes from Jalen Williams and some of the other guys. So I think I'm kind of leaning that direction. Yeah, this is my exact thought. I, I just think, like, what if the Lakers are the play-in team and, and the Thunder are the one seed and you've got to deal with 
um, that size, which I don't think, um, you know, I, the Lakers have not been very good, but I don't think the Thunder wants to see them in the first round of the playoffs just because of the, some of the matchup stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's no change in the roster, and, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but if there's no change to the roster, I think it's more likely. And the other reason is, and I'll just go ahead and say that's where I, that's who I had next. And the person I had next, so we can continue this discussion is Vasily Micic. I think kind of obviously, cause these are the guys who are going to have a chance to play in the playoffs who are on the roster now. Um, and it's weird to have Mitic last because he's been playing so well lately. And I do think that he's, he just, he's, the momentum is really building for him and he's a, such a valuable second unit guy. But in the playoffs, again, I said this earlier, I think your starters are going to play a little bit more. And so your biggest playmakers, your best on ball players, they're just going to play a few more minutes, maybe not Giddy. Um, but Shea and, and J Dub are going to see more minutes. And so that might cut into the need a little, whereas, if they don't make a change, the need for a big guy in the playoffs where things can kind of slow down a little bit, I think is is going to be probably a little greater. And this is sort of where I started off, where we can come up with like 11 guys, and we're not really stretching when we talk about right. C.A. Micic as a potential you know playoff contributor for this team. And maybe that is the insurance policy in case... A case of Wallace, you know, dips off in case, you know, Aaron Wiggins forgets how to shoot suddenly or, you know, maybe that is the insurance policy that they have. And, you know, we start to stretch a little bit if we went on to some of the other guys. But, you know, if that is the 11th guy that you have available, that that's a really good option. And again, that's sort of a that's sort of a luxury that Thunder teams of the past have not had. For sure. And I think like, look, it's the playoffs. And so you probably most nights are going to play eight or nine. Like that's nine is probably as far as you're going to go. This just means you have some options, um, you know, and, and like the, the, I think the, the, the last six are going to change night to night, not mm-hmm. in the same way the Thunder changes its rotation in the regular season, but there'll be a difference in the playoffs because there just will be matchup nights and there'll be nights too. Mark Dagnall coaches a lot on feel where some nights he just sort of thinks maybe this is a spot to put this guy in and he might give us a little something. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. All that said, Ham, with this, if this is the core right now, and you're looking at that core and you're saying the five starters and the other six guys we just named, framing it just in that way. So let's not think about the long term. Let's think about this playoff roster. What's the one thing, not necessarily a player, but piece, as you look down what we just talked about, if you had to just frame it in the sense of like for April and May and beyond, if they're fortunate enough for that to happen, what's the thing you still think they need the most? So... I'm going to say a big man, but not necessarily for the reasons that a lot of fans have been campaigning for. It's not that I think they need to get some guy that can give you eight rebounds off the bench necessarily. I just think they may need, just like we talked about Mitzich as sort of an insurance policy at the 11th spot, maybe having someone um, more of a veteran presence in that role. Uh, You know, Jalen Williams is, is, coming along very well but he's still young and experienced and if they could bring in a more seasoned backup guy in that spot not necessarily just to inhale rebounds but to be a productive big man just to give them some optionality I think that's the other thing too is it's real easy for this team to play super small and they've had success doing that um, we haven't seen a whole lot of Chet plus an additional big and there may be times where Mark wants to lean on that, maybe for an extended stretch. And I think just having that option could be valuable for them. Yep. Jay Will's played a little better lately, anecdotally. Like he's looked a little better. I think the addition of some shot blocking from him has been kind of a cool twist. Mm-hmm. Um, taking a few 
fewer charges and blocking a few more shots, which I think is a noteworthy thing for him. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit on this answer, or I'll cheat a lot, I guess. Um, I still think ultimately, if I could add one thing, and I think it's still the thing you want longer term and right now in this playoff rotation we just talked about, it's a big wing who's big enough to play some four who could just give you some different stuff, who, who just is a, you know, maybe he can get you four or five rebounds, but you're not bringing him in for the rebounding. He still passes it. He can shoot it a little bit. He can defend a couple of different positions. I think, again, the word you used, optionality, which is a thing that they're, you know, pretty fond of over there uh, at the uh, Thunder facility, over at the Ion. Um, <laughs> I think that's something that, like, just one more piece like that. I, I, I am of the mind, uh, and I've, I wrote this in my newsletter last week, John. I think this is a delicate team to add something to. One of the things that, like, you know, J-Dub talked to a couple of weeks ago about, like, the value of them all being the same age and how useful that's been for them in terms of just growth uh, and maturity together and the shared experience adding another piece um it's it's i just think it's potentially tricky um because if you're adding a guy who is the sixth or seventh guy he's just got to know he's the sixth or seventh guy and he's got to not mess with what they got going on right now and so like i've sort of tilted to the idea of like i wouldn't just be shocked if they don't make a move i i think they will do something because it's just in presti's nature to do something but I, i'm i would be leery of what they add yeah. No, it's uh it's it's delicate, right? And I think in a lot of players that people bring up, they tend to leave out that component of it. You know, well, where are they going to get minutes? Are they accustomed to being a starter? Is that role available if they're traded to OKC and all of these other factors? Um, you know, some of those major changes are more likely to happen in an off season rather than in season. I think the only major significant in-season trade would be when they traded for Ennis Cantor. And that was during a season when, you know, all the guys were injured. Um, but usually like the significant off-season, the, the, the off-season moves uh, really shake up the team. And it's more likely to be then than sometime in February, it feels like. Yeah, because that, that feels more like a part of the building process. That person comes in new and they go through a camp with these guys and all that sort of stuff. And so I do think I'm curious about that. I'm really curious about that piece. It's why yeah. I think even had a Lowry Markinen trade or something like that been available, I don't think they were going to pursue it. I mean, like if the Jazz had come out and said, we, you can get Lowry Markinen on the cheap, sure. But I, sure. I don't think that was ever a possibility. And I don't think they were going to invest in a player of that caliber for this reason. They like what they've built. They want to see what they've built looks like in the playoffs, just see how it works. And then I think, you know, anything that they do significantly is going to come after that first playoff experience, whatever, whether that's one round or two or three. Um, and so I, I do think it'll be on the margins if they do something. And even on the margins, you just got to be a little careful. The one thing I can say is that they're a franchise that's going to think very hard about this, like this kind of stuff that we're talking about. Like you said, like sometimes people don't think about this. They do though. Like we know that they do. That's yes. part of the reason why I'm bringing it up is because we know that they do. And so I think whatever happens, they will have thought through that whole process a lot. Yeah. And, you know, again, I caution people as well. Uh, if they don't make a trade or make any significant shakeup, uh, it's, you know, th there weren't better options available. Whatever the dream option was that people are thinking, maybe it just wasn't there. Maybe they don't share that same you know point of view. But, um, you know, staying put is also 
a valid option for this team. Team that's been fighting for first place in the West all year. Uh, they're pretty good. It's a pretty yeah. good team. Now, we know the playoffs are a different animal. We don't know how it's going to go. But if they stand pat, I don't think it's like uh, the end of the world. Again, they might have made a trade by the time this comes out or, or doesn't come out. We'll see. We should probably stop talking just on the off chance that anything the knock on wood here happens in the, the next 24 hours or 48 <laughs> hours or whatever. Yeah. Uh, John, thank you for being here. I appreciate the time as always. If you haven't listened to John's Big Friendly Podcast, you can do that unless you're sick of me, but there's lots of episodes you can choose from and listen to other people talk. Barry and Jenny on their show this week here at Seller Crowd. Barry Trammell, Jenny Carlson also had some Thunder Chatter, so make sure to check that out. Read all of our coverage at selloutcrowd.com. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, or even if it's not, but you haven't subscribed, make sure you do that. You can do it on YouTube or if you just want to hear these voices and not see these faces, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next week.